Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling. Welcome, I'm Ross Lauder, your host from Single Focus Talent, and I'm joined by our non-exec director, John Quigley, today. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Today, we are joined by Nate Smith, founder and CEO at Lever. Um, Nate has had an illustrious career um, that has brought him to uh, where he is today. So keen to dive into the cutting edge of ATS and CRM platforms, very much around the talent space, which is very much akin to what we hold dear to ourselves. So uh, very much a warm welcome on today's call, Nate. Thank you, Ross. Excited to be here. Excellent. Well, look, let's get stuck right in. Uh, maybe if you would, if you could share with us kind of your own background, your career journey, what's taken you in the steps that you've taken thus far, what were kind of some of the inflection points and, and what, where you are today and what makes you so passionate about what, what you're doing right now, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm a big believer actually that Smart, creative people can get passionate about a lot of things. And through my career to date, I've uh, done some pretty different stuff. So by background, I'm an engineer. I did electrical and computer engineering at a brand new school outside of Boston uh, called Olin College. And when I attended, I was actually part of the second graduating class. So small school, uh, really great experience looking to innovate in engineering education. and really was a startup itself. So I've always been attracted to uh, new, innovative, kind of forward thinking uh, groups of people and communities. And, you know, got that started in college, a really great experience there. Uh, but, you know, I'm from California. I, I grew up in San Diego. I'm a, I'm a Californian at heart. So I was excited to come back to the Bay Area, San Francisco specifically, and I joined Google. So I Google in my first job, you know, I always was thinking ahead to, I'd love to uh, start a startup or join a startup. I really believe that's where a lot of value and great ideas get created. And I was looking for a role at Google where I could get the most exposure to the most things, knowing that you do have to wear a lot of hats in a startup. You have to interact on many levels. And, uh, you know, at a big company, you have to think about what kind of roles are going to be more or less specialized and where are you going to have the most learning opportunities. So uh, rather than joining as an engineer, I actually joined as a, a product manager. Um, and I worked on initially AdWords reporting within Google Analytics. Then I worked on image search as the PM for image search UI for a couple of years. And I also worked on a few exploratory projects within the web search team uh, before I left Google after about four years. And it was a really great experience. Uh, could not have asked for a better one. And I really learned a lot of foundations. I uh, got to work closely with many really impressive colleagues. I um, you know, was able to facilitate Marissa Meyer's UI review for consumer products for a couple of years. And it was an amazing experience because I got to see how, uh, you know, the, how she and our heads of design and other groups for, for that area of our products you know, provided really amazing feedback to a lot of really smart people uh, both on the product management and engineering side about where we were taking a whole variety of Google products. So that was a really foundational experience for me. And what I learned was that I really cared about 
more complex user problems. So those that uh, people experience day in, day out, um, they really make a big impact on their lives if you can change something that used to be laborious to something to make it something that's delightful. I and mean, that's really night and day. And I got a little bit of that experience on Google Image Search because it's a product which it's actually the second thing that Google launched right after web search was image search. Makes sense. And you know, it was just a specific UI on top of web search. And they really didn't change it much since 1999 until uh, we did the first project to kind of uh, update it. So that was really exciting to uh, be a part of something that uh, you know had a billion pages a day at the time uh, and really radically improved the UI. And I realized that there's a lot of opportunities out there where for you know one reason or another, um, there's just latent opportunity. And there's really amazing impacts that you can have if rather than chasing the latest fad or fashion, you're looking for where is the greatest room for impact. And so as I set out to start a startup, uh, I really looked around and looked to understand what were the different business challenges that people were facing. I was specifically drawn to enterprise software, and this is 2012 for context, because I had seen that a lot had happened in consumer software in the, you know, the early 2000s. There was actually a lot of really great innovation when it came to social networks and uh, engaging consumer experiences on the web and on mobile. Um, mobile went through this incredible revolution and a lot of people were focused on mobile and local areas of, of software development. So when I was thinking about what would be the greatest opportunities for impact, I was really honestly looking at the areas that had seen the least amount of progress in the prior 10 years. And I felt that broadly speaking, enterprise software was that area. Um, and I think, you know, not surprisingly, what we've seen this past decade, now that we're at 2020, is, you know, just that uh, people did rush in to fill the void. And there's been an incredible innovation within enterprise software in the last 10 years, uh, a huge amount of progress. And, you know, the world looks very different than it did in 2010. So I was looking for that uh, area in which to make the greatest impact and found that Ultimately, it would have to be really aligned with people's business problems, uh, both because you need a reason for people to switch and because honestly, starting a new company is a huge challenge, getting something from zero to you know, where we are today uh, with you know, hundreds of employees. That can only happen if you uh, are solving a real business problem for people. So when I looked at that, I said, well, you know, what are the big business problems today? And I, I frankly just interviewed a lot of people, whoever I knew, either investors or friends who'd gone on to be managers or uh, do their own startups and uh, just kind of looked for ideas, frankly, and then also did a lot of market research. And what I uh, found in doing so was that the refrain I kept hearing was that people's biggest business challenge was hiring. You know, you'd say, hey, look, like uh, interested in enterprise applications, what tools do you use and what problems do you have with those? What benefits do you imagine that you don't have today? And you know, frankly, a lot of stuff people were like, well, you know, I use email. Email's all right. You know, a lot of stuff where they're like, they're frankly satisfied. They think these things are good enough. Um, but when it came to the topic of their teams, uh, I heard time and time again that people were saying, look, we have these critical hires. We've been trying to hire them for a year. Uh, we just can't seem to do it. 
and recruiting is ultimately holding us back from getting started on the strategic objectives that we have as a company. So recruiting had moved from being something that companies do when they need to do it to the, the critical path blocker stopping them from hit, you know, meeting their strategy. And so that's, that's actually what attracted me to the problem of recruitment um, and really seeing it as an opportunity to have a huge impact on the world uh, by providing a platform that was really built for the modern problem as companies are experiencing it today. Okay, there's a lot in that. And I suppose there's a couple of points I wanted to dive into. For me, I suppose, one of the things that struck me was that there's no better way to join a startup, right, than to found your own one. So I suppose what's curious to me, and it sounds like you came at this from a product management perspective. So, um, and, and as, as Winston Churchill says, um, you know, never waste a good crisis, et cetera, or, you know, using that kind of uh, problem area or challenges folks are having that you're hearing on a regular basis and turning that into an opportunity. Talk to me a bit about mindset, if you would, like how, how did kind of fear versus opportunity potential play, play in your mind relative to how uh, comfortable you were to take the dive and ultimately be, be very successful at it? I mean, what was that process like for you? It certainly helped that it's something that I'd been considering even doing straight out of college, uh, going into a startup. I, coming out of college wouldn't have had the network to be able to start one, but I you know, definitely looked into joining one. And truth be told, uh, coming from a school that was on the East Coast, no one had heard of before. It was literally the second graduating class, so absolutely no one had heard of it in San Francisco. I, I just didn't have any connections to the startup world out here in San Francisco and found that it was incredibly hard to break in. And so that's why I came in through a larger company experience, which, um, you know, I could have likewise maybe found a great startup to be at, but it can be hard to assess as, as someone without a lot of experience, uh, you know, ultimately what is a great quality startup and most startups fail. So I just ultimately decided that uh, the best quality company I felt I could join would be a really big successful company that would really help me to build a great network. And then I'd be a lot more tuned to what was you know a high quality company what were the markers of success and and frankly have some experience learning about how good companies are run what are some good fundamental tools there so i stayed at google for a good amount of time four years for me was i mean honestly it's a little bit like grad school right um it was something that i felt really uh i was growing and learning every single year uh super rapidly but after about four years, I recognized that, uh, you know, my learning curve was continuing, but it was definitely not as steep as it had been before. And I'm a big believer that if you're really growing in your skill set and your value, as, you know, thinking of your career, um, that you'll likely find benefit down the road financially. Uh, frankly, I did take a ridiculous pay cut. <laughs> I, had, I was very well paid at Google. Google is known for paying well, and it is a fabulous company to work for. Uh, but, you know, ultimate, and, you know, frankly, most startups fail. So the financials there, honestly, if you risk adjusted, it probably didn't make sense. Um, there is the likelihood that things go well and you do well, and I'm very thankful that that has been the case for me. But the truth be told, uh, you know, as I was walking out the door, I got counseled by some very intelligent people I respect a lot that, by the way, you're probably going to make less money than if you just stayed at Google. Uh, and, I, and honestly, I agree that from a risk-adjusted perspective, they were right, uh, even though it did kind of work out for me. So 
you know, I think uh, the truth is when you take that plunge, you're not actually going into that new world with a a clear financially sound story. It, it isn't that at all. It's really a bet that the uh, time that you're spending, uh, you're going to gain more from that time spent in terms of your future experience, your future uh, skills that you're going to learn, and ultimately over the course of a full working career, then it's then it ultimately is worth it. But you really have to be willing to approach it with that mindset and know that the payoff might take 30 years. So Nate, the pedigree there, right, is you're a very, very strong product guy. And, you know, for a while at Lever, you were kind of in, um, in, in the, the jurisdiction of kind of CTO and that kind of area. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, what we see is that uh, products are often developed without an objective for what, what it's trying to achieve. Or, you know, if there is one, uh, it's in the head of a single person who had the idea mm -hmm. in the first place. So without a shared common goal for, for a product, a kind of domino effect um, could take place, right? The strategy to attain the goals is unclear or worse, it's assumed. And then there's kind of scope and requirements creep. And then, you know, I'm sure that this is all familiar to you. And then the, the fit into the product portfolio becomes confusing and so on. So, you know, for me, it all comes down to a very clear product vision. How do you ensure that there's a clear product vision at Lever? That's a great question. Uh, actually, our clear product vision did come about through quite a lot of research in the beginning, and we've really held true to that over time. I think that we've been able to do that for a couple of reasons. One being that we did spend a lot of time in the beginning making sure that we hit upon something that was truly a meaningful vision. And I think a lot of people do jump in with the mindset of uh, something that's not frankly that well-developed of an idea is going to be really exciting in the future. And then they discover, you know, with future effort and time spent that frankly, it's not the right idea. <clears throat> and so at that point they are, you know, by necessity, they are forced to choose to uh, switch their idea either incrementally or pivot entirely. And that actually, frankly, is a strategy that a lot of investors promote. A lot of entrepreneurs think is a great strategy. I think it can be, though at some point you do need to commit. So it's okay to do a couple uh, you know, detours along the way, but ultimately there is a moment where you have to go, all right, this is it and we're gonna do it. And you have to stick with it for the right amount of time um, until you start seeing data that shows that you're not on the right path and you need to change again. So really just getting that balance right between you know, emotional commitment to the problem that you're looking to solve and ultimately, what is the data you're collecting about the opportunity? Because frankly, there's gonna be bad days. There's gonna be moments where your competitors look like they're in the lead, or you have a hard time getting investment dollars, or you needed to make a hire to be able to pull off the strategy and it fell through, and it's been taking you way too long, and you're worried you're just gonna fail. Um, people who are critical on the team leaving. All those things are gonna happen, sometimes all in the same week, and you're gonna feel terrible. That's part of the startup journey. It's really the part of any company journey, but it's especially part of a small company journey. And that's something that you have to have conviction within your, your entire team to get through and hold each other up uh, because everyone's gonna have their bad days and you need those people, uh, whether they're your co-founders or executives on your team or even just the tenured veterans who've been there uh, for a while and, and stuck through it. 
um, you need those people to hold you up in those times and you need to hold them up most days too. So that, uh, the way you get to that level of conviction and persistence ultimately is by picking something that you really honestly believe is really uh, the, the future compelling. You can see proof of it along the way to continue to convince yourself. Um, and you want to make sure that you're not being delusional. You don't want to waste your time and the time of others on something that isn't working. And so uh, it's, it is challenging. I think that is the art of uh, running a startup. There is no formula for it. Uh, it really is about building uh, the data-driven awareness along the way as a skill set, uh, building consensus by having a lot of uh, individual connections with people, connections to your customers, connections to your market, and ultimately building up more confidence as you go. Uh, but really just having that mindset that it's, it's just really important to be persistent. I think that's, for us, been the most important thing. You know, I could talk more about our, our specific story and how we specifically hit on individual insights for our business, but that's, the, I think, the framework is, is how do you build that kind of confidence. Nice, yeah, and, and we will actually delve into that a little bit because I, I am very curious because the evolution from kind of product and, and technical um, right now to, to, to your current role, um, the, what, what relationships have you found the trickiest? Um, and this is just out of personal curiosity. I've I, I founded some, some software um, companies myself and had some successful exits, et cetera, and my, my fundamental background has always been commercial, whether that be sales, marketing, um, the uh, you, you kind of grow into the to the product stuff in terms of market validation, and then you know you, you get broader in terms of your understanding of the entire business. But coming from a product specific um, background, uh, and then understanding the the mechanics, I suppose, of sales processes and generating top of the funnel demand for your product, and you know that whole reality that goes with actually capitalizing on the demand that marketing um, you know generate for these wonderful products you develop what, what have been the trickiest relationships for you um, in terms of those functional areas so I suppose I'm asking you know have you found sales particularly tricky or marketing or uh, any other um, kind of uh, functional areas outside of products what, what have been some tricky kind of um, interlocks for you yeah that's a good question I'd say it's definitely very much a personal question that has more to do with uh, my own skills joining the company and, and the areas sure. that I had to develop in. So I don't know if this is general to people with a product background, but I'd say that I personally, given that Lever is a SaaS enterprise software business, uh, did have a lot to learn about the dynamics of sales and marketing and customer success. These are well-developed uh, disciplines at this point. There really are... Uh, well understood rules of engagement, and uh, our buyers know them. You know, procurement is designed around them on our on the buyer side, and on the seller side, there are common words, there are common ways of, of speaking that are really important to the talent that you hire. So you really need to be able to go in with the mindset that you don't know everything. Um, but I also think that it's really important that all of those areas. Uh, do reflect the individual strengths and weaknesses of any given product. And so you do need to customize to some extent how the sales uh, methodology fits a given product. And so it's really important to engage on that. You don't want to just use a cookie cutter sales methodology 
for your startup, you really need to think about how things are working and aren't working and have a deep understanding of your why that is the case, whether it be your buyer persona, what are the benefits to them, what are they trying to achieve, uh, or your competitor landscape and what are your product specific dif uh, differentiators versus that competitive landscape, uh, really going into the, the ways that you might customize those processes requires a mutual understanding of the product and the uh, sales and the marketing and the customer success cultures. So for me, frankly, a lot of it was just learning. Um, and I think uh, I'm really blessed to have worked with some really talented executives that I've learned immensely from. Um, you know, my opinion is as a, as a startup founder or CEO or both, um, you really need to be humble about the fact that while you do have a lot of value to add to the world and you probably see things that other people don't from your unique vantage, uh, you also have a lot to learn. And if you don't, you probably aren't hiring good enough people. <laughs> you probably aren't hiring the people that will help you and your company get to the next level. So uh, you should be learning from your executives. In fact, that's a sign that you hired the very best people for the roles. Um, so for me, I'd say, Probably that you know this being my first startup, um, the biggest thing was just being able to learn from smart people who brought incredible experience to bear from past companies. Our head of sales prior worked at uh, NetSuite and before that uh, SAP Business Objects. Really incredible uh, groups in terms of uh, experience with sales of systems of record. Our, our head of customer experience. His background is incredible. He worked uh, at, as, as a CTO, actually, back in the day for Associated Press. He worked uh, at Practice Fusion doing really complicated uh, support for customers. And that's a very complex product with actually multiple uh, uh, users and, and kind of buyer viewpoints because you're, it's, it's more of a marketplace product. So there's a, there's a very interesting customer engagement challenge there. Um, you know, really, I've, I've learned a lot from the people that I've worked with at Lever, and um, they've brought a lot from their past experience. So, uh, you know, our, our CFO worked uh, at Salesforce and Box, two incredible SaaS companies. Um, so I think, you know, the, the first thing I can say is just you really have to, you really have to be open, and this is at least my approach, to the fact that you'll, you'll engage the best and the most if you approach the problem knowing that there are things that are blind spots because you you are ignorant and you know it's not a bad thing it's just it's just a state it's just a place of being and you need to realize you can't know what you, you can't know what you what you don't know right exactly so sure. you know i'd say what's been trickiest frankly is is ignorance <laughs> yeah. i didn't know what i didn't know um and i just had to learn it and i had to at times you know uh frankly, say something that turned out to not be true and go back and go, I was wrong. <laughs> I just own up to it. And I think that's a really important thing to be able to do as a leader. Very good. And, and, and it's, it's so far so good uh, by the looks of things. <laughs> the, uh, it doesn't you. seem to be too much wrong with that approach. Um, in terms of the organizational design, have you made any changes kind of over the past, say, five years that have really impacted your company? So in this whole learning journey, when you're looking at kind of how you go to market, you're looking mm -hmm. at maybe how your kind of sales and marketing align and kind of the interlock between pre-sales and post-sales and, and, and then, you know, you kind of, you kind of put it all together and then you say, hold on a minute. Um, mm -hmm. 
we're, we're going in terms of in terms of how we're we're designing this whole thing. Um, we're going to make much more investments in kind of SDRVD or or we're going to we're going to really you know amp up our enterprise team or we're actually going to double down on our customer success or whatever. In terms of that organizational design or whatever, have you made any kind of changes that have really impacted the company, say in the last five years? Oh yeah, we've definitely made many. Uh, the first one that I think almost every fast-growing company goes through is constantly evolving the segmentation of the business. Uh, you know, we started out, there were no segments. <laughs> and then, you know, the first big change was having segments, which is a really big deal. Uh, and as you evolve, you break your segments out by, you know, multiple attributes. And so, you know, when we got started, we did tend to have more customers that were very similar to each other. Um, in our journey, we started with a lot of small customers, uh, but that was largely just kind of due to the fact that uh, Lever being a system of record, it is a the kind of product where uh, you really gain over time experience working with customers and uh, can layer on additional insight and complexity and configurability into the product. So when we got started, the most immediate way to collect revenue was to work with smaller companies. And that helped us to gain insight into uh, what did customers need? What did they not need? Uh, a lot of that translated to larger customers. Some, some new needs emerged as well. So we gradually moved up market. Um, and now our, the center of our business is now more of a mid-market, say 200 to 2,000 employees. And we do have some larger customers as well. Uh, for example, Spotify, uh, Netflix, uh, a few others. So, you know, we have, we have some really established traction within enterprise uh, at this point. And we also still have a lot of mid-market customers. Um, so that, you know, today requires us to have a segmentation within our business where our sales and uh, customer experience teams both are segmented based on the uh, needs of those respective customers. And then in addition, some customers would like to get more support. So in the, in, even within a, a given segment, there are different offerings for different support levels. So over time, we've, we've layered in additional ways for different uh, customers, different uh, you know, benefits to them, different ways to make ourselves more efficient by having uh, sales and customer experience in particular uh, specialize and get more refined in their practices. And we've had to add additional processes to support the flow of information while also not letting things get bogged down and uh, too rigid because it is still a rapidly evolving, uh, rapidly evolving company and a rapidly evolving customer base that we have. So when you look at um, any SaaS business that's going along a journey like that, you're going to see a lot of evolution as the company scales, uh, adding just additional uh, areas. We've also had to make hard decisions. Uh, one challenge that we ran into is initially we had what we called customer account executives who were largely responsible for uh, renewals and upsells. And then we had uh, customer success managers, which were responsible for really just the, the happiness and success of customers. And so when uh, over time, what we learned was that it was challenging in our case for customers to have two people at the company that they had to keep up to date all the time. And we actually chose to merge those functions into a new customer success team that uh, ultimately handles both responsibilities with one individual. Uh, we actually had customer feedback that that was what they would prefer. 
but there's a trade-off because now you have one person who's both responsible for bringing in additional expansion and revenue from existing customers, as well as servicing the needs of customers. And so um, there, there really isn't a perfect solution, to be honest. It's not that having two people with specialized uh, you know, responsibilities is strictly better than one person that handles everything for the customer experience. Uh, that's not necessarily better or worse, it's just different. And I think that you know, it wouldn't be shocking to me if over time we had to evolve that model yet again. But in this stage of our journey, we felt that bringing those two roles back together was something that was really better for the customer experience because the customers then only really had to bring one person up to speed and understand you know, what they were going through and how they could be successful. So sounds like to me that it requires a set of very agile people, you know, and the key to that really is talent, right? So I'm curious to explore, um, you know, Lever and how you guys identify that talent. And what I'm looking to understand is really the delineation between how you can grab that in software, how you know what to capture. And then where does like, where does the specialized agency fit in? Where does the kind of personal touch that kind of one-to-one -one communication like, what does that part look like and how can you not do that or, or how do you maximize software to achieve the best results in that funnel? So maybe if you could walk us through those kind of sure. two sets. Yes, it's absolutely true that you need to really uh, hire people that can uh, both work for where you are today as well as ideally as long as possible along the journey. We believe at Lever that you know, internal hiring and mobility is really critical being able to demonstrate a history of, of being able to promote people or move them from one role to another is something that new hires usually find very valuable um, and very affirming when they're joining a company. So we're really big believers that uh, you save quite a lot of resources as a company by not needing to bring in external talent for every single role, but rather being able to fill in positions internally as much as possible that also really helps uh, in, a, in a very substantial way with employee engagement and retaining uh, your existing employees. You know, the alternative may be that you move one person from one role to a new role because they're excited about the challenge or they view it as a step forward in their career. Or the alternative might be you lose that person and then you have to fill two roles. <laughs> so it's certainly better to keep that one person. They're going to ramp way faster in that new role by just having relationships and experience at the company, knowing what the company's uh, beliefs and, and product is and all of that um, in this new role, even if it's a very different kind of role, they'll likely still ramp much faster. So first things first, I'd say, uh, yes, you, wanna, you want to uh, bring in adaptable people, but you also want to give them opportunities to adapt. You really want to give them, uh, give internal hiring a, a strong consideration for every single role that you open. You know, really ask yourself the question of, do I have anyone that internally that might be the best fit for this job? Um, so that, that's my first advice. Uh, secondly, I'd say that, you know, there's different types of roles at a startup from a uh, practical perspective uh, of how different types of recruitment might best fill those roles. So um, you have, in almost every startup, some roles that you're constantly hiring for. They may be on the sales team, they might be engineers that have gen general talents that you uh, should expect to always need to hire. In any company, there is a reality that you're going to experience attrition. And so you need to always be recruiting 
in order to keep the level of headcount that you want to have, even if you're not necessarily growing your level of headcount. And if you don't, you'll actually always be below the optimum level of headcount. And so it's really important that you kind of keep the, the team's uh, habits around recruitment, keep them uh, interviewing, uh, always be finding new individuals who are excited about the company, because you never know when someone's gonna leave and you're, you're bound to be surprised. Um, so sometimes you'll see it coming, sometimes you won't. Um, and so, you know, both thinking proactively about people's careers, challenging them to take new roles, always hiring for positions that are evergreen where you always are hiring for them, uh, never stop, even if you don't have open headcounts, still uh, it, as much as you can, uh, phone screen people and tell them like, hi, like we don't have any open roles, but your background looks really exciting and I'd love to get to know you. And you know what, we might miss out on you this time, but at least we've established the relationship and we've built that for the long term. I've actually had that work positively for me multiple, uh, on multiple occasions with really important roles in particular. Uh, we had a situation where we had a, a vacancy in infrastructure engineering that we had a plan for. And uh, it just so happened that we'd spent some time interviewing a candidate realized that we couldn't hire them at the time because there wasn't an open role. Uh, but we developed a really great relationship with them and we reached out to them now a couple years later and found out that they actually were open to a new position. And we hired that person within weeks of this vacancy occurring. So that is a really great success story that you could have if you're always recruiting, really keeping a, uh, a mindset that it's not about uh, fielding applicants as they come in the door, or waiting until you have an open role, but rather keeping uh, talent pools that are warm, keeping uh, ongoing relationships with talent always active. Um, now, there's also some roles where, because your team doesn't have that experience, a lot of times these are executive roles or your first hire in a function, where you do need to rely on outside help. So you should definitely lean on your team and outside resources for referrals. You might also consider engaging an agency in the cases where the role is something that you know that that agency probably does have an active pipeline for and you don't yet because it's not something you normally hire for. So I really think that any excellent recruitment function, even at a small company today, needs to leverage all of these different channels and take a multi-channel approach to recruitment because for different types of roles, a different strategy is gonna be the best option. And you really need a product, which I would say Lever is and has always been built for this purpose, that allows you to do each of those strategies within one system. So you have one system of record for each of those different strategies. Makes sense, makes sense. So I, I think um, from my perspective and my own experience, having worked at HubSpot, et cetera, it's not actually the tool that makes the difference, it's the methodology and then the tool enables the methodology. Agreed. So for you, how do you kind of implement that? Maybe share with us kind of your methodology around that and, and what that looks like. Yeah, that's a great question. We have a really incredible uh, customer experience team as well as sales team that have a lot of experience working with a wide variety of customers. And we do, uh, we do have customers approach us on very different sides of the spectrum. Some of them have highly mature organizations with very well-developed methodologies, in which case they're coming to us with clear expectations of what they're looking to achieve. And we show them how they're able to do that with our platform. Um, and as you said, that's where you want to get to as an organization. That's where uh, a highly mature talent function uh, operates. However, we also have a lot of customers who are smaller customers and frankly, they might not even have a full-time recruiter yet. 
um, and it's just the CEO doing uh, recruiting or everyone doing it as a group effort. Uh, we also have uh, customers who have recruiters, but uh, those recruiters or recruiting managers, uh, while they know recruiting, haven't yet fully been able to get the entire company on board with a process. And a lot of times they've, they've met challenges because they've had a difficult time getting everyone aligned when they, you know, they're just so overwhelmed by the fact that they're trying to keep up with the volume um, that they're, they're having to deal with with a small under-resourced team. And they don't really have the visibility into the data that would help them make a case to the management for what they need and what would a grid process look like. So we're used to a really wide spectrum on, in terms of uh, maturity of, of the company when it comes to their talent function. And usually when we approach a company, we're having a conversation about what's your maturity level? Um, you know, do you have buy-in from the executive team? Uh, why or why not? How can we help you get there? Uh, and we really believe that it's our job to elevate talent leaders above all else. Um, we really think of our jobs as uh, not providing tools that tell recruiters what to do, but rather providing them a platform upon which they can build a methodology and take command and really, you know, have the, the organizational, uh, you know, firepower to, to argue for what's important and the data to back it up. Uh, so that's what I, we see as, as the way that we help um, in that regard. So Nate, um, an old mentor of mine um, defined leadership to me one time. Um, he said, John, leaders uh, know the way, they show the way, and they go the way. And it has always resonated um, with me, always stuck with me. And, you know, it's something that I've inculcated in, in, in my own career relatively successfully. Um, what does leadership mean to you and how, how does that permeate throughout the organization, um, throughout your organization? I like that one. That's, uh, I, might, I might take that. <laughs> you, you can have <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, that may actually be an example of uh, kind of my style, which is I, I'm a really big believer in openness. Um, I think that that word means a lot to me. Um, it means while you likely do have uh, opinions and you likely do know uh, important insights about the future, there's always great ideas that come from everywhere, uh, such as when you're on someone's podcast and they give you a great snippet like that. So uh, you never know what you're gonna <laughs> what you're gonna learn and where you're gonna learn it. Uh, I've learned insights that have changed the game from sales development representatives. I've learned them from executives. I've learned them from talking to customers or investors. You know, everyone alike in the company has had a huge impact on our ability to succeed. And I think that. Uh, is really the foundation uh, for myself is, is really coming at it with uh, the openness to know that, that there is new information to be had at any moment um, and that it's important to listen. Uh, I also really personally uh, find integrity, integrity to be a very important value to me. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways to lead, but I wouldn't feel like I could be effective unless I could be my authentic self at work. And so I both find that value to be really important and a part of how I operate and what I'd like other people to be able to rely on me for. And I also think it's really important to have a very authentic work environment where other people feel like they can be themselves at work and can be their whole selves at work. Um, so those are a couple, I think, values that really 
I find to be really important. Um, and I, I really, uh, I guess finally, probably the third thing that I hold uh, very dear is that I think it's really important to be excellent at what you do. Uh, and there's a lot of different strategies. Uh, frankly, there's something to the worse is better philosophy. It's actually a really great way to create value as well. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, I really strive for the best. I do the best work when what I'm looking to do is raise the bar. And whether or not we're in the lead and we're just, you know, beating our own record or whether we're learning from our competitors or our customers or the market and saying, that is a great idea. Let's do that too. And let's do it better. Um, I think that that approach has been really important to what's motivated me and the people that join our company. You know, I, I, I truly get the sense of that from you. I've spoken to you a couple of times now, and if you don't mind me saying so, you, you kind of remind me of Jimmy Fallon, but you have that kind of very natural... I, I would imagine that people gravitate towards you as, as a leader. Um, you, you just have that spark. I don't know how to describe it, but, but it's, a very, it's a very affable, you know, for me, a very affable demeanor. And, well, um, thank you. Yeah, I got that immediately um, um, from you, Nate. So for listeners in terms of kind of what to expect in, uh, for your European growth or expansion, um, what, what are your plans and, and what's in place right now? I do know that you got some pretty decent European customers, um, um, you know, that, that are based in Europe, like I, I think Spotify, you mentioned, and a few others. But in terms of, of your plans, um, what's on the horizon, maybe if, if, if our listeners you know, um, kind of would want to find out uh, more and they were kind of interested in possibly uh, helping you to spearhead that growth. Um, what, what, what's on the cards? Absolutely, yeah. We've uh, interestingly had, I'd say, uh, really great growth in Europe considering that we have yet to have a physical presence there. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, Spotify, Farfetch, Dazone, we've had a lot of really great and uh, amazing brands within Europe uh, that, have, that have joined the Lever platform and, and we've been able to partner with, um, as well as a wide variety of other companies of all sizes. So we're really excited to, uh, to expand our presence in Europe. Uh, I can't announce anything officially yet, but uh, it is definitely something that uh, we're really keen on. And I'd love, uh, you know, definitely if there's anyone that's listening that would like to get to know us, please reach out. Um, you can you know, just go on our, our uh, page on our on lever.co slash, uh, slash careers. And uh, we have a lot of information there about, uh, you know, the jobs that we are hiring for, but we're, we're definitely going to be looking for additional team members. Um, also would love to connect with organizations uh, it, who are in the talent industry or the HR industry in Europe. Um, we are adding, you know, additional partners all the time. Uh, it's a big part of our business is connecting uh, as a platform, we're connecting all sorts of different uh, tools and platforms to to each other and to Lever and other systems, um, and that's a that's something that I'd love to meet more folks. Uh, so really, very much open uh, and and looking forward to more growth. Fantastic. I suppose um, as we wrap up here, uh, finally, um, Nate, uh, we in Ireland have an expression about the crack, which is really a sense of our culture in that. Uh, Irish people, you know, we were hard workers, etc. But we also we get mm -hmm. the job done, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. I suppose what's important to you from a cultural perspective is setting the tone in your organization, your kind of work-life balance, etc. What does that look like in your world? If you could share with our listeners, 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I personally believe that the best way to allow people to uh, kind of create the right balance uh, is to keep the focus on output and results. And I think that there's a lot of different ways to build a startup culture. Some people have a quote unquote hustle culture. I think there's some challenges with that. Some people have a let's you know really think hard about work-life balance culture. Uh, the challenges with that is, frankly, each of those things mean different things to different individuals. And it's really challenging for uh, the executive team to anticipate everyone's needs. Um, and I think a lot of times you end up with very complex compromises that don't actually create work environments that uh, speak to the diversity of talent that would be ideal for the company to be most successful. So I'm a big believer that actually the best way to achieve uh, the, the goals of, say, a hustle culture, which is uh, really about, you know, what are you trying to achieve? It's about trying to create opportunity for people, trying to give people the opportunity to have uh, the sky's the limit. And there's nothing that holds them back from being as successful as they want to be uh, when they join your organization. And work-life balance, I think, you know, it is what it says on the tin. Uh, but ultimately, it means different things to different people. Some people have families, some people are single, some people are younger, some people are older. They may live in an urban area, they may live in a remote area. If you want to be open to all those different types uh, of, of working, of, of lives, uh, you really need to create a space where you define what does success look like, what are your expectations for a role, for a team, for the company and then give people the space to succeed in whatever way uh, they can succeed best. So I'm really a big believer in a performance-driven culture where uh, performance and output is what speaks and uh, that allows as many people as possible to kind of be themselves and be who they are at work. Um, and a big part of that is also, we have a strong culture of empathy at Lever. This is something we care about in terms of how we interact with each other cross-functionally, as well as how our sales team operates. And I think a lot of people notice this. This is actually one of the reasons I think a lot of times uh, we win deals is that our sales team, frankly, spends time with people understanding them, and they're not trying to tell them that they know the answer already. Um, so, you know, those are just a couple glimpses into our culture. But I think that, uh, you know, people who work at Lever, they want to raise the bar. They're empathetic and they're focused on what can each person bring to the table and they really respect each other for uh, the value that each individual brings, even if it looks a little different. Yeah, I think you've summarized that really, really well. I think there's definitely an over-indexing on work-life balance and kind of do what you want today. But at the end of the day, it's got to be results-focused. And, you know, in my own organization, that's something that I believe in. I don't care what people do all the live long day, but if the results are there, then everybody's working, you know, we're getting to where we need to be strategically and from a company goals perspective. So um, I, I would definitely... Uh, be very akin to that so look Nate um, I really want to thank you for your time today you've provided some excellent insights for our organization and certainly shared some things that you're considerably passionate about and, and have a lot of detail to uh, to flesh out on, on those particular topics we covered so I really want to thank you for that and uh, look forward to our listeners engaging with you and uh, yeah look speaking to you again in, in the near future thank you it was great to, great to chat today thank you Nate You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. 
For further details, check out sf-talent.com.